Hey, creatives. I am really excited to share this episode of the Creative Psychotherapist podcast with you. It is the fifth episode in season two. Uh, last year, we decided, you know what, we're going to break it up in season so we can take a little more time off in between kind of groupings of publishing um, different episodes of the show. And today you'll be listening to a conversation with dance board certified dance movement therapist. Um, she's also a licensed clinical professional counselor, Erica Hornthal, and she, uh, she's written a fabulous book called body aware, rediscover your mind body connection, stop feeling stuck and improve your mental health with simple movement practices. And we talk a little bit about her book, but maybe more importantly, the focus of our conversation really um, dived into her advocacy work and how her work as an advocate has really helped make her practice visible and has become um, not, maybe not so intentionally, but has really become a, a large part of her marketing. Um, and I think it's an exciting thing to think about, you know, as therapists, there's always something that we could be doing in terms of advocacy for our field, for our clients. And, um, you know, just in any of our expressive modalities, just raising public awareness to what we do and dispelling myths around what we do is so important and can raise the visibility of the work that we're doing within the community and help people that really want our services to find us. So I hope you enjoy listening to this episode and uh, yeah, without further ado. The Creative Psychotherapist is the official podcast of the Creative Clinician's Corner, a practice-building resource for creative psychotherapists. TCP Podcast is the cast for creative, expressive, and experiential-focused psychotherapists curious to learn how to design, build, and scale a thriving private practice. Your host, Raina Lombardi, interviews successful therapists about the tools and strategies they have used to develop creative-focused practices. They also talk about the products, services, and side hustles they have developed, using their knowledge and creativity to enhance their therapy practices, make a greater impact in their communities, and diversify their income streams. Welcome. Now here's your host, Raina Lombardi. Thanks so much for listening to the Creative Psychotherapist podcast. I'm your host, Raina Lombardi, and I'm delighted to welcome my next guest. Her name is Erica Hornthal, and she is a licensed clinical professional counselor, a board-certified dance movement therapist, and the CEO and founder of Chicago Dance Therapy. Since graduating with her master's in dance movement therapy and counseling from Columbia College, Chicago, Erica has worked with thousands of patients aged 3 to 107. Known as the therapist who moves you, Hornthal is changing the way people see movement with regard to mental health. She's also the author of the new book, Body Aware, Rediscover Your Mind-Body Connection, Stop Feeling Stuck, and Improve Your Mental Health with Simple Movement Practices. 
Welcome, Erica. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, so let's kind of start. Um, what got you interested in dance movement as a therapeutic discipline? You know, it was really out of the desire or stubbornness, I like to say, of not being willing to relinquish my love and passion for dance. You know, when I was a junior, senior in high school and starting to think about, you know, what will I do with the rest of my life? Because, you know, of course, that's something we have to have figured out at the age of 18. Um, you know, and I remember like, where am I going to go to school? And maybe that should be based off of like my interests and hobbies and what major I will pick. I really didn't know because I had so many interests, which is probably one of the reasons I became a creative arts therapist. But um, honestly, it was just, again, my stubbornness and not wanting to let go of that dance piece and just coming to the realization that, you know, on some level, I always knew that dance wasn't going to be my main career, but I didn't really know other options existed until someone literally pointed it out to me mm -hmm. uh, right in the nick of time. I mean, you can always go back. It's never too late. But for me, it was right in the nick of time because I was deciding my major. I was a freshman in college and somebody uttered the words dance movement therapy. And that was really, that was how I found out about it and how I, you know, just fell in love with the idea of marrying my two passions for helping people emotionally, psychologically, and continuing to use dance and movement, which I did not know what that meant. I think most creative arts therapists would agree. We don't really understand what we're getting ourselves into. No. I would venture to say conservatively five to seven years after we graduate, <laughs> but um, that has definitely changed for me. I definitely have a, a, a purpose and and certainly more of an idea of what that is for me now. But uh, to say, oh, I knew exactly what it was. And that was, you know, the trajectory from the beginning. That would be a lie. <laughs> but uh, that is ultimately how I found the field of dance movement therapy it was just following that gut, you know, uh, mm -hmm. instinct, that intuition of I can't let go of something I'm so passionate about. Yeah, it's not a similar experience with the arts where I was volunteering at an organization and they kind of introduced me to it. I had never heard of art therapy prior to that. And that kind of led me into that same trajectory. But even though I had this experience with um, using art as therapy at this organization, it was definitely in grad school and after grad school, still a process of figuring it out because it can be so many different things. Yeah, I guess that's I totally the beauty. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, I think we recognize the difference between art as versus art therapy. Right. But uh, that doesn't mean that even though we've made that conscious decision that we can't still engage in both. You know, so I dabble with that too, of kind of like, does this client need more movement therapy or movement as therapy? And um, obviously it doesn't take a credential or a, a degree to do the as therapy piece or like that therapeutic piece, uh, but it's nice to have the freedom to do both, you know? Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of freedom and sometimes that comes with confusion, right? Or like mm -hmm. um, maybe before, you know, we're really kind of in the work and understanding more of our own modalities and, and um, methods of operating. 
Um, I think it is sometimes a little bit more confusing, but you know, it's kind of trial and error. Like you learn what works for you. And that creative piece is such a powerful thing to to do with clients, but then for me, for myself to also use a self-care, you know, something I can oh, yeah. always come back to to continue to do the work. Absolutely. So at what point did you decide, okay, I'm in my career, I'm ready to go out on my own and create something? Um, how long had you been practicing before you took that leap? Well, although it was a choice, I feel like on some level, it it was decided for me. <laughs> so, I mean, I could have said no, but, um, you know, I actually, I always wanted to do private practice, but it was never my intention, at least not at the beginning to run my own show. I very much wanted to work in a, a practice, a group practice, ideally. Um, and when I was first in school, my main internship was with older adults. So I got very comfortable working with dementia and cognitive impairment, memory impairment, and some movement disorders. And there were very few opportunities to do that inpatient, which was not really my forte anyway. But I remember like one hospital in a row that still had a psych ward geared toward older adults. All the rest were mixed. You have 18 year olds with 99 year olds, you know, you've got dementia next to sociopathic behaviors. It's just like, yeah, not just Chicago specific, but it was just not going to be my area to, to thrive in. And I'm all about, you know, doing your due diligence and doing the work that needs to happen. But I really wanted to work with this population. So for you know the first four years, I really ended up having to work in nursing homes, mm -hmm. um, independent living, uh, day programs. And once I got my credential and my licensure, I was like, great, I'm going to apply this to private practice. It didn't really flow that way because one, not a lot of private practices were seeing the need for or working with those clients. Sure. And the people who were who were working with those clients tended to be social workers, right? And were working for these big um, healthcare organizations, right? Or big yes. hospital systems. And unfortunately, because I'm a counselor, I wasn't really given the same, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say respect that social workers in the field of geriatrics were given, even though our backgrounds are pretty similar. So... Again, I started to apply pretty quickly for group practices, you know, so I didn't have a lot of experience under my belt, which is kind of new, I think, in the last 10 to 15 years, right? Typically, psychologists, psychotherapists, counselors would work for years and years and years, and it was almost like in their retirement, they had private practices, right? Mm -hmm. And that was very much true for dance movement therapists. It felt like, you know, by the time they were in there, maybe mid to late 40s, 50s is when they were starting to really go into private practice. Now it's like, as soon as we can, a lot of us just want to go into private practice. We want to see one-on-ones. We want to not necessarily own our own businesses, but we want to have that independence. And for me, it was having the freedom to do the work with the clients and not have this big overhead or big brother saying what could or couldn't be done based off of insurance, right? Billing, right. Um, the, the bureaucracy. Right? Yeah. 
So lo and behold, none of the private practices, none of the group practices would hire me. And for a couple of reasons, I think one, mostly I was pushing the whole dance movement therapy piece. And about 15 years ago, they just weren't seeing it. They were like, what, you know, movement, what? Wow. Dance, I don't know really what that is. Somatics wasn't really in everybody's vocabulary. I didn't even know sure. to use that word really. Um, they were all looking for CBT, which I know. Sure. It's it's not my um it's not my preferred methodology. <laughs> I'm very much more person-centered, very Rogerian, very humanistic. CBT, I see the value in, it's just not my go-to. So um yeah, it was like, well. I could continue to do what I'm doing, which is meeting a need, but it wasn't filling my, my soul, right? Like yes, working with older adults in, you know, uh, healthcare settings was not easy work. And because I was pretty much pigeonholed into being the activity person or activity right. director, there was no room for growth. There was nowhere to go except to like jump to a different department, which wasn't, wasn't going to be for me. So I just kind of took a chance on myself and felt like, well, the only way that I could potentially do the work that I want to do is to go out on my own. And of course I waited until I was fully licensed and, you know, got all the logistics, the liability insurance. I was actually going into people's homes for the longest time and doing the work with the families and the caregivers in their own homes and doing one-on-one -on -one private movement therapy sessions with people who were pretty advanced in their disease and really not able to be a part of the community in the way that unfortunately the community felt was appropriate. So that's kind of how it started. It was like moonlighting. Um, I started kind of getting part-time jobs in other avenues of mental health until finally I had enough work on my own and then took the leap. But uh, I'd love to say that it was like this conscious, like I will do this. And at some point it just kind of felt like I had to, if I wanted to do the work that I was looking to. I think that that's um, not so uncommon in our professions because there is, there does seem to be a hierarchy in the field of mental health in terms of what is given prioritization and, you know, in different institutions and you're right, social workers have a longer history in um, in the, the physical health disciplines in hospital settings, um, at least in, in, as far as I know, I don't think there's been any change. They're the only folks that can provide mental health services under Medicare. Other licenses are unable to do that. And so they, actually the, that, that just changed, I'm just sorry to interrupt you, that just changed. Um, counselors are now able to bill Medicare, but because the, it still has to be signed by the president, um, it could be like another year to a year and a half until it actually is feasible and reimbursable. Mm -hmm. But yes, after like years and years of lobbying, that is actually changing, but that is a big reason that it's been mm -hmm. so hard for counselors to work in that space. Yeah. And then I think then you add, okay, now you're a creative arts therapist, there's also um, kind of a um, a perception that what we do isn't evidence-based or it's not as efficacious as other talk therapy approaches. And um, you shared something on social media 
that I thought was really brilliant that spoke to that, that, you know, experiential doesn't mean that there isn't evidence to support doing it. Um, right. But I'm That's probably I was just thinking about that, like that it ties into what we're talking about right now. <laughs> yeah. I'm probably quoting it differently. Like the, um, the post that you had made, but it really spoke to that idea of that there, there is a lot of research around what we do and, mm. um, and perhaps, um, maybe our approaches, whether that's movement, whether that's drama, whether that's art, music, um, perhaps in some ways, um, it's not as valued just because of the societal perception around the arts as something of value. It's more seen as entertainment, but not really about, you know, what it means to be human. But I think all expressive and creative arts therapists and artists in general would say no, Part of being human and what it is to be a human being is this ability to express and understand and interpret our world through our creative expressions. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And uh, so the the post actually, ironically, that just went up today was that, you know, experiential does not mean experimental. And I think it just goes back to the value, the importance, the end-all be-all that we place on mind over body or mind over matter, as people would say, right? That we are so disconnected from that creative side because we've intellectualized so much of art. You know, art is good or bad. It's skilled or novice. Um, it's judgment, right? If it doesn't look good or make up, make me money, then it's not of value. And that's totally not where we as creative arts therapists reside. I mean, we might do that in our own lives, engaging in our art forms, but when it comes to working with our clients in art, it is not based on any of that. It's like you said, it's expressive. It's going back to our roots of human beings. I mean, that's how we interact with the world before we can use higher cognitive functioning. You know, it's all through expression and experience. So I I find it frustrating because while there's so much evidence out there, I think for me, the problem is it's not accessible. I know per, like in particular, like the Journal of America, I always butcher it. Journal of Dance Movement. Th- I don't know the Dance Movement Therapy Journal. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not. I always butcher the name because I always want to say American Dance Therapy. That's the association, but um, it's something that's accessible to members of right. our organization. But it's very difficult for just kind of the layman to find mm-hmm. that journal. Yeah. So therefore, people are like, "Oh, there's not a lot of research in that." No, there's been like sixty years of research. <laughs> in the field of dance movement therapy specifically and then you know dance as an art form has gone on for centuries but that's the difficulty I think is people confuse experience and experiment and because they don't have access to the research Mm -hmm. it must not exist you know so it goes back to like well can't see air does that mean it doesn't exist (laughs) right like 
you have to find evidence that it exists and ask the right people. You know, we have access to it, but it's a tricky conversation. So, um, so yeah, I appreciate bringing that up because I think there is this misconception, you know, that, well, experiential must mean unknown, you know, or experimental and that couldn't be farther from the truth. I, I agree. And I think we, I think in all of our disciplines, no matter which one it is, it is like that. It's very, um, encapsulated where, you know, art therapists have access to the art therapy journal, dance movement therapists have access to the dance movement therapy journal, music therapists have access to theirs. And we don't have like an interdisciplinary shared access to these things. I think there's like the creative, um, creative arts therapies, um, in mental health journal, and that kind of bridges the gap. But, um, yeah, I, I do think if we had broader access that that would create, um, greater opportunities for other disciplines to learn about and, um, and be more receptive to, uh, the creative approaches in practice. This episode of the creative psychotherapist is brought to you by Florida art therapy services. Florida art therapy services is a proud provider of continuing education sponsored through the Florida Board of Clinical Social Work, Marriage and Family Therapy and Mental Health Counseling, and offers a wide variety of continuing education trainings on the topics of supervision, art therapy, and other requirements for Florida licensure. We are excited to be welcoming special guest uh, trainers, art therapists, Carol Cox and Amy Bucciarelli, who will be teaching a Mastering the Meaning of Mandalas training. It's a three-day intensive training, which will allow participants to earn 20 hours worth of CEUs. And that's going to be taking place April 28th through 30th, 2023 at our Fort Myers office. Over the course of the three days, people will be exploring mandala making as a way to find identity and meaning through the lens of the life cycle. It's taught in a unique format, which incorporates lectures, meditation, music, and lots of artistic creation of mandalas as well. I took this training in 2019 and I was blown away by the content and it's altered my work uh, since having taken the training and I'm excited to take it again. And I really encourage you all to check it out. If you have any interest in deepening your understanding of the mandala and um, helping to use it as a, uh, a source of greater understanding with your clients, I highly recommend uh, checking it out. Amy and Carol do a phenomenal job. And you can learn more about that training and all the other trainings that we provide at Florida Art Therapy Services on our website, www.floridaarttherapyservices.com. 
just click on the continuing education menu and you'll get a drop down and you can click on mastering the meaning of mandalas or one of the other trainings as well. How, how have you, um, I think you do a really good job. I've been following your work for a while. How have you kind of taken this role of being an advocate in order to really, um, educate the public about the work, but also, you know, tie into marketing your practice? You know, from the beginning, I, I, I've said this many, many times and I kind of laugh and like cringe a little bit when I do, because it was a very selfish act from the very beginning in terms of needing to educate people in my own area so that they wanted the work that I offer. You know, it was like, I get the value of it. I'm already sold on it. <laughs> I put in the work, I got the degree, I started the career, right? But there's so many people out there that I knew I, you know, whether me or someone else in the field, like we could be helping so many more people. And it just felt like a huge, this huge disservice that people didn't even know what it was we offered. So in the selfish attempt, right, to not at first, at least not make a name for myself, but just put the field out there, mm -hmm. you know, get people on board with what the creative arts therapies could do, or in my specific case, dance movement therapy. Um, that was really where it came from. And I think along with that, not just frustration, but there was a lot of anger inside of me at the very beginning for seeing other people, how do I put this? Cause this means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, get credit for dance therapy when it isn't actually therapy. You know, so mm -hmm. obviously this is a bigger mm -hmm. conversation, right? Of people taking credit for things that aren't theirs, right? We're seeing that in our society in so many different ways. And it's not just for me to say, you know, we own dance therapy. We don't. Dance therapy is not proprietary. But the field, right? The field that has emerged in the US at least over the last 60 years, that I believe in many ways needs to be protected. And I it was frustrated to say the least because it, I felt like it wasn't. I was running into people that were calling themselves dance therapists and I would reach out to them and be like, wow, what do you do? I'm really interested. I'm a dance therapist only to find out that mm -hmm. we had very different backgrounds and they didn't even know what dance therapy was. So they thought they made it up, right? Well, I'm a dancer and I'm, you know, making people feel better. So haha, -ha, dance therapy. And I was like, wow, okay, well, it's not chocolate therapy. <laughs> it's not retail therapy. You know, it's, there's wow. more to it. And I was getting really, really angry, but I also didn't want to be defensive. Like I, I wanted to work with these people. I wanted to educate them in a powerful way and maybe collaborate. So at some point I realized that I could be angry for the rest of my life, <laughs> feeling like our field hadn't advanced enough, or I could actually fuel that passion into advocacy. And I think that's where that word came into play. Um, you know, I don't advocate for everyone and everything. I've been very devoted to advocating for the field itself, what it does, who it can help and how it can change 
people's lives if they've reached a plateau in other areas. So that for me is where advocacy came from. It was really like, wow, I don't want to be this angry all the time. There's got to be something more powerful that I can do, you know, and that's looked a lot of different ways in terms of marketing. Um, I did everything I could in my power, you know, at the time, like 10, 12 years ago, writing the articles, guest blogging, uh, you know, pitching myself to different media outlets. And a lot of it worked and then kind of reached a plateau. So I'm always trying to reinvent the wheel with regard to that. Definitely partnering with people when I'm able to. And um, that's probably been the one thing consistently that I have invested, I should say reinvested my revenue into is, is this marketing strategy. But uh, it's so hard because it's not taught to us. You know, it's not taught to any counselors or therapists, but definitely not creative arts therapists. No. So um, so that's really where it came from. Just the, again, stubbornness, I think, <laughs> paves the way in so many things that I do. Uh, but but having the opportunity to kind of step back and be like, okay, is this sustainable? What can you do that will make it sustainable, right? Instead of, you know, mm-hmm. letting these emotions guide you. That's, a, that's an okay starting place. But just like we work with our clients, what can I do with these underlying emotions and how can I put them into action? Yeah, I think that this is definitely something that is um, felt by many folks starting out in the creative arts disciplines that we, we all kind of experience the same thing of people calling themselves what we've invested all this time and energy, money, like everything that we've invested in learning about, and then having mm-hmm. somebody who does not have that same level of education, training, experience, going out and representing our profession to the public sphere. Um, So I think it is, it's, it's really awesome that you felt so driven to advocate and pitch yourself to different media outlets, because a lot of people in the field feel really uncomfortable being seen in Mm -hmm. the public eye, even to talk about the work that they do. It's something that um, many people just don't feel comfortable with. I think younger generations feel more comfortable due to growing up with social Social media. media. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's a little, it's a little bit of an easier transition for them or more natural transition for them. Um, how did you go about pitching yourself to different media outlets? Because I think that that is, that is a great solution to educating the public um, on a really broad level, knowing that they're not going to have access to the different you know, journal articles and textbooks and different things that we have been exposed to. Well, again, it started off slowly, organically. Um, you know, was it ever my desire to like be in front of a camera, at least with regard to like dance movement therapy? No, I don't. I wouldn't say that that was like a broke, uh, like the goal in my mind. No. You know, I started off again like, well, I can you know write into my local paper 
Um, I can, you know, reach out to to blogs, right, that were already existing and see if I can offer some um, some guest pieces. So I, from what I recall, um, a lot of those avenues um, were, were coming to fruition. And there's only so many times that you can uh, kind of collaborate with those, right? Because there, there's a season, right, to um, periodicals. And, you know, if they just wrote about mental health, they're probably not going to write about it for a long time. And and the fact that, like, we are these, this niche, like, I want you to talk about mental health and movement. That's another, like, okay, well, maybe three years from now, we'll write an article about that. It's it's hard. It's more so now because, you know, somatics and certainly like trauma are, I hate yes. to say it, but like kind of trending these days, right? Absolutely. So it's a little bit um, more accessible. You know, it's it's not like, let's wait months and months and months for the next story type thing. But, um, you know, from, again, from what I recall, I had hit this wall and I realized, you know, I'm not a PR person. I'm not a marketing guru by any means. I'm going to see what my community has to offer. And I went on, I think it was Facebook. I went into like my local community group and I just asked, you know, does anybody have any recommendations for freelance marketer or freelance PR, you know, realizing that it could be very pricey, like, PR and marketing can be very, very expensive. So let yeah. me just say, you do not need to spend all of that money. I did not spend hundreds of thousands, even tens of thousands of dollars. Um, I ended up meeting with a woman who, actually two women in my local area who were kind of doing it as kind of part-time. Um, I think now it's their full-time job, but it was um, kind of on the side, but together between the two of them, they had, they had so much experience and I, it was hard because they didn't really understand what I did either, you know? So it's kind of like having to re-educate, you know, someone who can put you in, in those positions. Like, okay, so this is actually what I do. I'm not going to be talking about dance, not really going to be talking about exercise. Um, but through their guidance and help, that's when my first like uh like on camera opportunity appeared and I don't think I thought twice about it until like two minutes before we went live <laughs> and, and I was like what have I gotten myself into you know like you, at least for me it was very exciting it was like I went and I went into Chicago and uh, you know, went into the studio and there's the green room, which isn't really green. It was like blue or something. Um, it's not, it's, and if anybody's thinking it is, it's, it's not glamorous. Uh, nowadays, like news stations have like cameras and an anchor and that's pretty much it. Like a lot of the cameras actually operate themselves. So there oh, aren't wow. even a lot of people in the studio. And um, I remember thinking like, I have to kind of pretend that the people are here. Right. Because otherwise, yeah, it's just like I'm talking to myself, which nowadays is much more accessible because I think a lot of us do it all the time on social media. Right. But at first I remember thinking this is odd, you know, that you're staring at a camera talking to an audience that may or may not be there. So it was a little like, well, I'm going to do this without thinking twice and then doing it after the fact and thinking, I definitely want to do this again. Um, 
you know, the opportunities don't always come in very quickly. It, it really comes down to how you pitch yourself, which I've gotten better at, but it definitely helped to have someone guide me because I had mm -hmm. no idea what I was doing. So yeah. And then it's definitely been met in different ways. Um, again, some people are like, this is great. It's creating visibility. You know, it was never my intention to be the face of, and I don't think I am, but um, it's just, to me, a, a, another sign that it's just not out there enough, right? Like yeah. if a doctor goes on the air and talks about cancer, nobody thinks, wow, this is the cancer doctor. I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of cancer doctors, right? Right. It's unfortunate that a dance therapist goes on TV and they're like, wow, she is the dance therapist. So it's like, <laughs> no, no, it's just, there's so little representation for us. Right. There's, you know, we're all over the world. We're all different colors and races and religions. So it's been met with a little, um, I don't know. I don't know what the word is feedback, criticism, perhaps because of just how it gets presented sometimes because there's so few mm -hmm. of us out that are visible. So, sure. you know, for me, it's never really saying this is the way it has to be. I'm always very intentional saying, this is how I practice. This is what it could look like. And if you're interested, find someone in your region, right? Find someone in your area. Um, yeah. So that's, that's kind of how it, how it began, um, yeah. you know, where it's going. I don't know. I'm just like always open to opportunity. And for anybody listening, you know, if you're interested in that, you know, it starts by just like reaching out to people you're, you're watching, right? If you watch mm -hmm. the news or you read an article, reach out to those editors, reach out to the, the producers. If you can, it's very, you have to do a little sleuthing, but it's, it's pretty easy to find a name and then find the email. So, um, you know, practice pitching yourself. It doesn't mean that you're going to get out on immediately. Sure. Um, but if you practice saying what it is that you do and your passion comes through, if and when you are interviewed or it comes on air, you know, you, it, that time comes, it's so much easier to talk about. You know, you're just talking about what you do. And for me, that's always been... <coughs> Bless you. It's <laughs> always been the guiding, the guiding force, right? So, um, yeah, I don't know. I hope that answered your question. No, I think like it's a little it's, tangent. It's definitely really helpful because I think there is, like you were saying, this is an area in which we're not trained in in our education, unless we were specifically taking marketing courses or something. Um, and so people do ask and wonder, like, how does that happen? How do people get featured? Do the reporters research you and ask you, or are you putting yourself out there? I think um, obviously the more you put yourself out there, the more awareness they're going to have of you and they might then reach out in the future. Um, but I think it's also really helpful to put it out there that whenever we, whenever we put ourselves in a space of visibility, there's always going to be some criticism and some critical feedback and that's okay. 
as long as we're staying aligned in our own truth and what, where our purpose is that it's, when we do that, it's easier, I think, to just let that stuff slide off like Teflon than, Mm -hmm. than, you know, otherwise. Yeah. And, and I guess, you know, while I can't obviously speak to other people's experiences, for me, it it doesn't feel competitive. It's not like a, I must fight for the spot because there's so many of us saturating the market, right? No. The competition is in mental health, right? Because, well, if a psychiatrist can come on and talk about movement, usually with regard to exercise, that's usually much higher on the totem pole, right? Than, uh. I don't know, master's degree. Like, I I mean, I don't see it that way, but media will see it that way, right? Of like, we need the doctor to talk about this expertise. So with regard to mental health, it's really challenging to get the airtime or the interview, right? Wherever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so oftentimes people aren't coming to us. It's not a, hey, I need an expert in this. Can you talk about it? That only started happening for me, again, in small doses, after I had created some traction, mm-hmm. right? So um, I've been writing for, on and off, but I've been writing for Dance and Forma magazine. And because there are enough articles online right. with regard to like dance and mental health and movement, depending on what you search for things will come up and I've had people reach out and say like, Hey, I'd love for you to offer your expertise in this, you know, in this article, or I'm writing on this. What, what do you think? Um, again, that doesn't come right off the bat. And it was not without some sweat, blood, sweat, and tears, (laughs) right? Like I remember kind of like grinding the pavement a little bit. Like I said, you know, keeping a list of some of these writers that I had been following or, you know, trying actively to find uh, an email. And sometimes it's just messaging the person saying like, hey, I really appreciate the article that you just wrote in XYZ. This is my area of expertise. If you ever have any need for it, please reach out. Sometimes you hear nothing and other times it it leads to placement in the New York Times. Like you just have no idea. Mm -hmm. So it's... It's getting comfortable with putting yourself out there in ways that might not have to be visible, but yes, it it would be like your name, right? Or like um, um, a quote. And a lot of us have imposter syndrome. So it's like, what do I have to offer? Right. How can I say something? You know, it's, it definitely, I mean, it's definitely things I've talked about in my own therapy sessions for a long time. So, you know, it's the difference between wanting to be the, I don't know, the voice, the face versus again, that advocacy piece, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yes, it, it does inherently come with like, okay, well, my name has been associated with this, right? Or my company was written in this specific article, but that's never actually been the goal for me. It really is coming from that place of if, if that happens, then one more person will know what dance movement therapy is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's your that's mission. That's kind of been... Right. That's been the goal is like, if someone's like, well, how should we refer to you? Dance movement therapist. Okay. Well, what about movement therapist? <laughs> like, I mean, if you have to put something else in there, like psychotherapist, fine. 
one person once misquoted me and I think put physical therapist and I was like oh no <laughs> like <laughs> come at me <laughs> but you know that's been the thing is like I want to be able to open a paper a magazine a book and see dance movement therapist because growing up I, it, I'm sure it was there I I didn't see that you know I mm-hmm. I subscribed to dance magazine as a kid I subscribed to you know some fashion magazines here and there I don't ever remember seeing a dance movement therapist no. quoted you know and it doesn't have me I just wanted it to happen and so now it's you know it is happening in so many other avenues I I see art therapists quoted music therapists it's really lovely and I just uh you know, not, not because of me, but it's just, it's just nice to see it happening across the board. It always makes me really happy. Yeah. I, I think though it, it comes from us developing that confidence Mm -hmm. to put ourselves out there in any kind of way, whether it's in front of the camera or whether it is being quoted in print, whether it's talking on a podcast like this, when we're putting out the information, we are creating greater opportunities for more awareness, for more people to find us, for more people to say, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I need. That's what I've been looking for. Um, but, it, but I think you're right. It's, it's about what's your mission you know, why are you doing this? What's the purpose of why are you doing that? You know, you're spreading the message. I, the podcast, I started similarly. I'm like, I want other people to be able to step out and create their own thing because of how difficult it is, particularly how difficult it was for me to find work where I felt like I was truly valued as an art therapist in Florida, that was very, very difficult for me to find. And I wanted other people to say like, this is an accessible opportunity for you to go out and create your own practice as a creative arts therapist, but also to give voice to all of the amazing things that people are doing in this field. Um, and, and how they are making a difference and, changing the landscape of therapy in a really beautiful way yeah yeah I agree that it's just um you know that innovation you know of of, let's say stepping out of the box but it's it's I mean sometimes there is no box you know like it wasn't the norm for creative arts therapists to have podcasts right so you're not even stepping into out of a box you're just creating a new path right creating a new avenue so I remember the first dance therapist that I, that I knew personally that was doing things online, you know, it's like, oh, she's thinking out of the box. I'm like what box? <laughs> like, that's not even a box. That's just like brand new. It's just innovation, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, I think sometimes we're, you know, we're threatened by things that scare us, obviously, yeah. you know, and, um, and, and innovation can be really scary. And, uh, you know, we, we, myself included, like sometimes I just want someone to say, Hey, this is how to do it. You know, follow this path and you too will have this. And just recognizing that a lot of those paths had not been paved and, um, I didn't know what it was going to look like, but I didn't want to take a chance on not being able to provide for myself based off of the career that I had chosen, you know, and that if this is, 
going to be feasible and, and you know, uh, sustainable. I was like, oh, I got to look at all the ways that I can actually get new customers, you know, get people excited or interested in about, uh, about the work that we do. So um comes in a lot of different ways. Something strikes and I'm like, oh, I'll try this. Not everything succeeds, but, you know, I think it's trial and error, just trying things, putting yourself out there. I think for me, it was also looking beyond the field, you know, yeah. that it was, I love the field. I love collaborating with and meeting and networking other dance movement therapists, but we continue to educate ourselves that we already know what we do. So I was like, wow, I got to start talking to people outside of the field, outside of creative arts therapists, uh, mm-hmm. therapy. So talking to talk therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists, exercise physiologists, you know, I was going to, um, yeah, like social media, just connecting with people who find value in the work and aren't necessarily right. connected to it. So um, yeah, I think it's important just to find different avenues to talk about what you do and then, you know, network and collaborate with people who, who basically could help each other. Mm-hmm. What I really hear come through your messaging is that you're not looking at this to calculate some kind of outcome, right? Like, okay, so I did this speaking engagement here and got this many things I can check off or, or this many clients mm-hmm. called me. It's about the consistency of I'm putting the message out there with the long-term vision of, yes, this is bringing awareness. It's, um, it's going to translate into people finding me who really want the services that I provide. Um, but it doesn't matter. Every opportunity to communicate about the work is a value and purpose. Um, and there's a consistency over time that I'm just going to consistently put things out there um, and build up this body of information. So with that body of information, of course, it's much easier for people to find you and what you do specifically, but also about the topic of dance movement therapy because of the breadth that you've created over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know people uh, will say, oh, you have to have a business plan, right? Sit down and kind of create that five to 10 year out business plan. I, I never sat down and actually like wrote this out in that way. You know, it wasn't like, okay, I'll do this for the first two years and then this will happen and I'll do this for another two. Yeah. Like you said, it's really just been this consistent, um, just coming from this place of, of excitement and passion, right. Of like, okay, well, what's another place, like Avenue, you know, or an opportunity, opportunity will present itself. And I'm like, Oh, well, let's try this, you know? So, um, it's something that, that is exciting. It's not draining to me. It actually gives me a lot of life. I think maybe because it's not the business itself, right. It's not the goal. And, if I don't mm-hmm. get this opportunity, then, oh, you know, it's a notch out of the belt or, oh, that didn't work. And that's, you know, right. um, depressing or sad. It's like, okay, it didn't work. Let's try something else, right? Let's try again. Um, and at least from the marketing standpoint, ironically, the one thing I've never actually invested actual money into was uh, optimizing anything online, um, which 
good or bad. I don't know. It just wasn't anything that I ever put my resources into. But as you mentioned, when there's consistency, right, mm-hmm. and you are either, you know, contributing to something or people are working with you, that goes into the online database, right? Yeah. And so quickly things were coming up to the top of a search and I wasn't really doing anything to make that happen. You know, there wasn't like, oh, I'm going to make this an ad so that people see it first. Um, you know, there's things strategically you can do, right? You know, it, I didn't really think of this ahead of time. I was just like, okay, I live here and this is what I do. Uh, but I, I named my company Chicago Dance Therapy. And ironically, it's like, well, if people search for Dance Therapy Chicago, guess what? That pops up over and over and over again. Right. Um, I did the you know, same. So it's like, yeah, yeah. It's like strategic, but but not, at least not in the moment. And then afterwards realizing like, oh, that was a good business idea. Um, so yeah, I appreciate you saying that, that it has just been consistency and it's, it's not, um, the, the, the goal, you know, it's not mm-hmm. even like a game. It's just something I find a lot of pleasure in, a lot of joy in bringing more visibility to the work. And yeah, I guess after gosh, like 15, I don't know, 12, 15 years, um, the, the, it, speaks for itself after a while, like on, on the internet, at least, right. Where things are just all neatly kind of, Oh, look, Oh yeah. There's that article. There's this, there's this. Um, and you know, I think back to, I don't know, I don't know how long ago now, five years, maybe seven years. I remember putting in, in Instagram hashtag dance therapy. And there were, you know, you get that like fewer than 100 posts. Right. (laughs) Um, And I made it a point every time I post something to hashtag dance therapy. Now, granted, if you search hashtag dance therapy, a lot of things come up that aren't the field, right? Sure. But a lot of things do. And now you're seeing people who who are dance therapists or posts about dance therapy um, for a lot of reasons, not just, again, not just because of me, but five to seven years later, seeing, you know, way more than a hundred posts now, like we're in like the... I think I checked the other day. It was like, I want to say like over a hundred thousand posts that were affiliated with dance therapy. That's awesome. Sometimes it's just someone dancing, right? It's like someone that videotaped themselves dancing in their living room and they hashtag dance therapy. But still like the fact that Mm -hmm. it is becoming more of an accessible hashtag um, allows us to be more searched, allows people to actually scroll and see like, wait a minute, this is a thing talking right. What is this? You know, or then they like, you know, tag creative arts therapies or same thing with art music. Like people will tag it thinking that it's therapy because it makes them feel better. And then lo and behold, you find this whole world of mental health that a lot of people don't know about. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And so at what point did you say, okay, I've been doing this for a really long time. I've got this huge body of knowledge that I want to distribute to the public. I'm going to write a book. How did your book come about? (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know, I hear that and I'm like, I don't know that. I think that's what almost prevented me from writing the book, you know, as I was like, who am I? I don't have this wealth of knowledge. I've only been in the field for, you know, a drop in the bucket. And so I started to think about the people that came before me or who are still practicing you know, who are very much in the academic sector, which I am not, 
Um, you know, I don't have a lot of journal articles or peer-reviewed journals under my belt. Uh, I don't teach, you know, at a collegiate level. And I realized that that will probably never be me. Like, it's just not really um, something that uh, brings me joy. I, I mean, yeah. I, I love to do workshops. I love to do trainings. Um, putting up together a curriculum for an entire school year, that is, that is really hard work. And yes. I think I'm cut out to do that. I would, I, there's so many people that I admire, especially in our field that are just brilliant at that work. And so for a while I thought, well, I can't write a book because I don't have that expertise. You know, so many people that have put out books in other areas were all educators, you know, they had PhD after their name and I don't have either of those things, you know? So, um, it came a little bit after hearing from enough people that were like, Hey, you should write a book. Hey, are you going to write a book? Hey, this would be a really good book. Like, I, I don't know. Am I qualified to write a book? <laughs> and then I realized that, well, there are a lot of people writing books and that doesn't mean that we're all qualified to do it. But if there has been any time to put your original, um, well, original, but also, um, we'll just say ideas, right? Because like, I think all of our ideas come from other ideas. Yeah. Maybe this is the time, you know, we're seeing all of these um, influencers, right? Put out books and we're seeing, um, you know, just a huge rise in self-help and psychology books. And it's like, well, maybe, I don't know. It was never in the cards. It was never like, oh, I want to be an author someday. And I had only really started to be comfortable with it because I had written enough things online. You know, I had written some articles and blogs and was contributing regularly to some magazines. So I decided to think about it <laughs> and just created enough time where I would sit down on my computer and, and write. Like I would mm -hmm. just keep a notebook. I had some notes in a folder. And at some point I was like, all right, if you're, if you're going to do this, then you owe it to yourself to at least try. And I remember sitting down and, and like writing a chapter, not all in one sitting, but starting to write out a chapter. And of course I started with, you know, what is dance therapy? What's important? Where did I start? What does this mean to me? And, um, kind of realizing that one, my voice, but also my own, um, how do I put it? Like what I had to offer in the field that mm -hmm. I hadn't necessarily heard or read in another book was this idea that our movement makes us who we are, right? But ultimately mm -hmm. that if we want to change things about ourselves, we actually have to change the way we move. And I know people had thought, oh, okay, well, yeah, exercise, I'm going to lose weight. I got to, you know, exercise. No, no, no. It's like, if you want to change habits, mm -hmm. you know, we're hearing about how movement is so necessary for trauma. Trauma changes our movement. So if you want to actually work through some of these traumas, it would benefit you to actually really look at how your movement is connected. So, you know, trying to find a way to put together like the Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen and the Peggy Hackney and a little bit of Levine and some Bessel van der Kolk. And like, what if they had a baby? <laughs> you know, like, mm. what if all the background that I got as a movement therapist and a, you know, movement assessment, or I'm not an analyst per se, but like learning movement assessment, 
with the things that I learned about window of tolerance and a little bit I know about trauma and all the things about resilience and you know how to how to change the way you move to change the way you think I was like I think that would make for I, I thought that would make for an interesting book it hadn't really been done in that way um but there's sometimes a reason for that right like yeah. maybe it's been pitched and no no one picked it up so I started to think about this like you know move your body move your mind and started writing from that perspective and yeah I don't know at some point <laughs> I realized again, I needed some help and uh, had to put together a proposal and had someone, um, a brilliant author herself, help me out with that. And um, yeah, I kind of put together this proposal, started putting it out there, see if anybody was interested to represent it. And then the pandemic happened, but that actually ended up being the blessing because once mm -hmm. I was actually able to find someone who was like, I think you have something here. I would like to represent this work. I actually, I actually had the time to write. Um, oh, that's awesome. You know, some people were dancing and getting in shape. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was, I had an infant. I had a, my daughter was eight. Uh, she was like five at the time. Um, and, you know, my client base was kind of at a, a lull for a while. I was like, well, I have to do something to stay connected to my field. And that's ultimately how I was able to continue to contribute and to advocate. Um, and then it, yeah, it became this book. So I just, I don't know, that's a lot. I guess it's all to say that, like, don't doubt yourself, you know, that mm -hmm. I, even as I was writing it, people were like, who are you to write a book? You don't have a PhD. You haven't been in this field more than, you know, 10 years. Like, why now? And I was like, well, I'm not writing it for the field. I'm writing it for people that don't know about the field. So Mm -hmm. again it was Back that mission, mission of if I can put right if I can put one more thing out into the world that educates people on something that they might need or they've been missing or didn't know about mm -hmm. um, or want to do with their lives then I've done my job so yeah yeah I think that's <laughs> really great advice um you know even though you didn't necessarily say it but we can't listen when other people have those questions about our ability and our, um, I guess our, our ability to contribute in a meaningful way because of, you know, whatever perceptions or preconceptions about what is necessary for one to have something of value to contribute. I think, mm -hmm somebody straight out of the, their graduate degree has something of value to contribute about their field to the general public. Um, they yeah, certainly have the ability to go and work. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, actually one of the things that I've been also really passionate about is just creating this community where everybody is able to offer Yes. Right. So if you're a current student, if you're a new graduate, um, you know, sort of doing this summit online. And that was actually one of the reasons it was like, I don't want it to just be the same people that are talking about the same thing all the time. And mm -hmm. I don't want people to think that they have to wait until they're a seasoned professional to have something to offer. We, I remember my supervisor early on was like, well, submit something to a conference. And we're like, well, 
what would we submit? We don't have anything to offer. That's not true. Like you have your life experience, you have your practice. It's like, oh, okay. So I think we're afraid to do that or we're told not to. So I was actually yeah. encouraging students. I was like, you know, hey, are you new to the field? Talk about your challenges. Hey, uh, are you in your internship? Just talk for 60 minutes about your experience in your internship. Like this is a way that we can start practicing talking right. about what we do and continuing to educate people. So is it CE uh, um, uh, eligible? Not always. And that that's right. a problem sometimes, right? Because it's like, well, I'm not going to attend if I don't get CEs. But it doesn't mean that we can't share share the work. So I just wanted to say, like, I totally agree that, you know, we all have something to offer. Mm-hmm. We have different levels of experience and knowledge and wisdom. I That I don't deny. Mm-hmm. But just because we're starting on the journey doesn't mean we have any less potential or things to offer than someone who's been in the field 60 years. Right. So um, I think there's a place for everybody at the table with regard to that. I love that. And I agree wholeheartedly. I think that it's important that we cultivate that because if we don't cultivate Mm -hmm. that, then I know I've talked to people with 20 years of experience that are still expressing that hesitation of like, I don't have enough. I haven't done it long enough. I don't, you know, all of that enoughness, right. It's this insatiable desire to need to justify by more education, more training, more, 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 but when is more going to be enough? It, it, it is enough as it is today. If we can just come from where I am right now, what I have to offer right now in this position is enough to give what I can give in this moment versus Mm -hmm. ah, all this other stuff of needing more education and time in the field. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, there's still a difference, right? You could have two people that are starting off on their journey and one could be uh, able to express right through a workshop or a seminar or a discussion. Right. And that other person is the same level, you know, same, same journey, same, um, not same journey, same um, uh, timeline, right? Like they're both maybe starting out in school, same year may not have that ability, right? So it's not to say that everybody is going to be able to present, speak, and engage the audience, but I think everybody has the potential or at least should have the opportunity to try, you know? So um, I've only spoken at one dance therapy conference. It was actually the first one I ever attempted to send a proposal into. I co-presented with a good friend of mine. And you know, we remember, like, I remember thinking, like, they're never going to go for this. I mean, we don't have enough experience, but we ended up getting accepted. We talked about private practice and the struggles of private practice and kind of the basics of marketing around private practice. And um, for us, it was really successful. We had about, I think, 40 people attend and we had a great conversation. Um, You know, that doesn't happen very often, but I think it gave me a taste of like, oh, this could be what a conference is about. You know, this could be what a mm-hmm. summit is, or this could be, you know, to see someone. And it wasn't because, you know, I was with my supervisor, right? I wasn't like the adjunct, like we were the lead, you know, facilitators. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know a lot of people kind of were looking around like, really? <laughs> you know, like you've been in the field a minute. What are you doing here? <laughs> um, 
but it also wasn't, you know, going to our heads. We weren't walking around with like, oh yeah, yeah, we're on the same level, you and me now, you know, like, no, someone who has had 60 plus years, has multiple PhDs, like you have much different knowledge than I do, but it doesn't mean that we can't both be here and and share our experiences, you know? So there's a lot of ego. There's a lot of ego um, in academia, in, in creative arts therapies, in psychotherapy and mental health everywhere. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. but um, you know, obviously like I, we all have it, uh, work with my ego on a regular basis, but, uh, you know, I think if we can kind of put that aside or just recognize when it's coming out, that we can actually recognize like when we're stunting our own growth, you know, when we're preventing people from our, from our own field, from advancing, it's preventing our field from advancing. And that's yes. such a detriment, especially because all of our fields, um, some are thriving more than others, but we, we need to be seen. Like, we, we just, we could be adding, we are adding so much value, but especially with the way the world is today, it's like, you know, nervous system regulation is needed by everyone and the arts are the way to do that. Absolutely. And I, I think that without, without continued advocacy and education to the general public, we'll continue mm-hmm. to have people go into study to do this work but they will leave the field because there's a lack of opportunities and they, people right. need to be able to take care of themselves to like, like, yes, we're here to help, but we are also mm-hmm. here to earn a living. This is an occupation. It may be one right. that comes from a place of the heart and passion, but that does not circumvent the need to be able to earn a living. And if one can't earn a living, then they're forced to make a decision that's really difficult. And people do leave the field. I've talked to many people that have over the yeah. years because of that. So what you're saying is true. If we're not really putting this stuff out there and making it more accessible, creating more job opportunities for people to do the work, then, you know, we stay at the same, at the same pace and level. When I graduated And from my graduate degree in 2004, the American Art Therapy Association was saying, we have approximately 5,000 people in the organization. We still have approximately 5,000 people in the organization. (laughs) Where's all these people going? (laughs) Right. Or why aren't there more? You know, like if we had 5,000 10 years ago, shouldn't we have like 10,000 now or maybe 20? I don't know. Like where's the growth, you know? So I don't know. I mean, that's not coming from like statistics, obviously, but it's just right. other fields are growing exponentially. Look at the t- like tech, right? It's just like exploding, and men- we're all told mental health isn't going anywhere. So it's like, well, huh? You know why? Yeah. What, what's going on? And I'll, oftentimes, it's you know, it's systemic. You know, it's like, hmm, you know, what's going on with like the system or or within the field, right? Are there hardships or things that are preventing people from moving forward? And I think that's another piece of advocacy just within the last couple of years is like hearing how many people had to give up their dream because they couldn't mm-hmm. make it work. Not, not because of them, but in a sense, because the system failed them, you know, that they, they were a graduate student that couldn't get out in an internship. That makes no sense to me. Why were they accepted if there's no internships to be had? Like that's a waste of money and resources for that person. If there's 
if we are basically saying we will take your money, we will give you the education you desire, ooh, but we can't actually graduate you because we don't have an internship to give you. What? That's right. Uh, I, I think that's unacceptable, but that's another conversation. But uh, <laughs> you know, to hear how many people like went through programs and had to had to leave, or uh, it's one thing if you decide it's not for you, right? Sure, decide it's not for you, sure. change your mind, that you're allowed to do that. I remember being told this isn't the right for you. Maybe you should leave. And I was like, I think you have the wrong person. <laughs> wow. I was like, I'm not going to stop doing this. And I think that that's also what fuels my advocacy is like, this is where I'm meant to be. And just, you know, continuing to prove sometimes to myself, right. That like, you can make a living doing this. And I hope other people can too. And it just breaks my heart when people are really dedicated to their fields and because things are missing with regard to, you know, the lobbying, the advocacy, mm-hmm. the marketing, the visibility, they, you know, they have to find work somewhere else. They still want to do the work very much, but, um, you know, they end up leaving the field altogether. And this happened a lot. Like you said, I've talked to many people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to change that on my own, but I just, it feels like such a disservice because some of them are incredible practitioners. Right. It's like very gifted at what, at, at their, you know, skill set and, um, you know, for a variety of reasons, but wow. I think I could talk to you forever and ever, but we should probably, (laughs) (laughs) and yes, it really has. And I hope that listeners find inspiration in your story of, of how you've, you know, created what you've created and, and how you're sustaining it through the continued advocacy if they want to find more mm-hmm. about you and your work, where can they find you, Erica? Uh, EricaHornthal.com is a great place to start. Uh, if you are on social media, which, you know, I'm always like, I hate it. I love it. I hate it. I love it. <laughs> um, it really is the best place to connect with me. I, I use Instagram pretty consistently. It's been a, it's been a um, intention of mine, especially after or a little bit before my book came out to like, really show up and just create some type of consistent content on Instagram. So you can find me, um, the handle is the therapist who moves you. Um, Uh, yeah, between those places, you can email me, message me, reach out to me. And, uh, I love to connect. So even if it takes a couple of days, like you will hear back from me, but if you don't try again, (laughs) because it went into spam. All right. I will put, I will put your Instagram handle and, um, and your website and email in the show notes and for folks that want, that might be interested in your book, where can they find your book? Yeah. Body aware is available wherever books are sold. So for some people that is Amazon, but for others, you know, who are really interested in supporting independent booksellers, you can go into your local bookstore. If they don't have a copy, they can order it for you. Um, and there's also, um, the audiobook through audible and awesome. there's a digital ebook as well. Cause I know everybody has different, uh, reading needs. I I'm a, I'm a hard, I'm like a hard copy person. I have to have a book that I can turn and highlight and all that good stuff. But, uh, if you're more visual or auditory, they're all available. I'm I usually have something in Audible going and hard copies of things going all at the same yeah. time. Um, but I find that it's it's just easier, like time-wise for me to consume through Audible than it is to like 
yeah. read a book. It just takes me so much longer to read through the book where I can get an get through a whole book in a few days because of driving. Right. So, well, yeah, it's brilliant. And, you know, I will say for people who are really interested in using the book for their own well-being and mental health, there's so many, I call them body aware breaks uh, and experientials in the book that for some people, the audio is better because then it's guided. Mm. So awesome. Just thinking about, you know, in terms of that. Um, and I believe what is today, the 28th, mm-hmm. 28th. Um, I can send you the link. The audiobook is actually 50% off until the first of the year. Awesome. Well, so I'll, I'll just, I'll send you the link. You can put it in the show. Well, or it'll you can be, share it with your network. Cause I, yeah, it'll be after it'll be after, but this I can, go out after. I can share it. Um, I can share it probably on social or something like that. I know it's the 28th now. Um, okay. But- yeah. yeah. I mean, that was kind of beside the point. It doesn't obviously not part of the the podcast, but like, if you know people that are just like, Oh, I'm, I love audiobooks. I think it's, I heard, I heard, I want to say it's like $5, 10, I don't know, but it's, it's heavily discounted until January I'll be, first, bu- so. I'll be buying it. I'll be buying it. <laughs> okay, there you go. I'll, I'll send you the link. There you go. Um, awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah. So thank you, Rena. It was so lovely to talk to you. And thank you for putting this out there because I mean, most people don't even know what creative arts therapy is, you know, so then to have like this per, kind of like a professional platform where people can hear others' experiences and get, you know, tips or tools on how they can better practice, I think is really, really important, very valuable. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate the support and I have really appreciated this conversation today. Me too. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the creative psychotherapist. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation with Erica. I highly recommend uh, you check out uh, her work on social media Uh, What she has said, all of her names are the therapist who moves you. I also love that she's kind of given herself that uh, name. It really serves well um, in helping people understand what she does, right? She's connecting that movement uh, piece of her work for clients to say, oh yeah, I want to move. I want to move my body. I want to work with somebody who does that. Um, and definitely check out her her book, uh, which you can find the link to that in the show notes. All right, everybody, take care. And I will share another episode with you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Creative Psychotherapist. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. For show notes, downloads, and additional resources, head over to the website at www.creativeclinicianscorner.com.